0: Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And the disciples must have been feeling that warm glow that we can get when we're told that good times are on the way. But then as Jesus carries on, and he begins to spell out in more detail what he means, and he says this in verse 20, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. And I wonder if the disciples began to feel a bit uncomfortable at this point. The Pharisees were renowned for meticulously following everything in the law. How could their lives possibly be as good? How could they be as good as the Pharisees? But Jesus begins to explain to them how. And he he gives illustrations from their everyday lives so they can understand how his teaching applies to their lives. And Jesus begins to contrast the old teaching when looking at the outward actions, like don't murder somebody, with actually what's going on in our hearts, what's going on inside us. And... Jesus is inviting us, inviting each one of us to follow him. And in that relationship, for our hearts to be transformed, so that we truly love and value other people as God does. Jesus looks at our hearts, not just at our actions. And as we as we begin to look at Jesus' teaching here, it's really important right from the beginning to, to grasp that it's the Holy Spirit that transforms our hearts. We we can't do that ourselves. But that doesn't mean that we're called to be passive. Jesus asks us to cooperate with the Holy Spirit, to enable the Holy Spirit to come in and transform our hearts. We're going to look at, at practical choices that we can make to open up our own hearts to be transformed by God. So firstly, Jesus starts at looking at the prohibition against murder. In verse 20, Jesus says this, You've heard it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Now I can imagine the disciples taking a deep breath at this point. Most of us here haven't murdered somebody, but most of us will have been angry at some point. I wonder what immediately comes into your mind. When when was the last time you were angry? Maybe last week, yesterday, maybe this morning. Maybe something happened at home or in the wider family amongst friends. Maybe you got an email or a message and you felt really angry. And if we're completely honest and and something comes into our mind, what we then do is try and justify ourselves. We quickly move into, well, actually, my anger was justified or, or actually I wasn't really angry. I was just a bit, I was annoyed. Anger is a feeling and it seizes our body. And to, to begin with, it's a spontaneous response. It alerts us that something is wrong, and that, that wrong can be outside us, or it can be something wrong that's going inside us. Often it's about when our will is ob- obstructed in some way. What we want done is not done. Or somebody doesn't agree with our opinions, our view of life and the way we think things should be done. Now Jack's video that we saw about anger and conflict was really, really funny at some points, but in real life it is not funny to be on the receiving end of somebody else's anger. I, um, some, some years ago I worked with somebody who was regularly angry and it was totally Unpredictable when he'd become angry. And I used to dread going into meetings with him. Um, when you're in situa- situations like that, you can feel somebody else's anger in a really visceral way. We're all going to feel anger at some times. And what matters is what we do with it. And we have a choice to make. We can choose to receive it and indulge it. We can go over and over it in our minds during that day, during the next day, over the weeks, months to come. And if we do that, in the end, we become an angry person when it takes the slightest thing to tip us over into an angry response. But conversely, we can choose not to indulge anger. We can choose if somebody's hurt us, we can choose to forgive them. And maybe if somebody holds a radically different opinion to you, and it was interesting that Brexit point on the video, maybe you can seek to try and understand where they're coming from. You might be wondering about what Christians call righteous anger. Things like when Jesus was in the temple, and he went into the temple and he saw the money changers and the traders and he, he chucked them out. Isn't it right for Christians to be angry about things like social justice issues or human trafficking or, or injustice, so much injustice in the world? Or perhaps you're in a relationship, maybe at work or at home, where somebody uses anger to intimidate and control. It is right for us as individuals and as a church to take action to deal with injustice and if if you're in an abusive relationship either at home or at work it's right to seek help and I'd really really encourage you to do that. But we should always guard our hearts, guard our motivation James says in James 1, verses 19 to 20, a person's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. What's important is our motivation. Our motivation both to act and pray should always be out of love for the other person. Dallas Willard, a Christian philosopher, wrote this, there's nothing that can be done better with anger Than without it. There's nothing that can be done better with anger than without it. And and he goes on to warn warn us that when we retain and we cultivate anger, then we risk opening a door for the devil in our lives. And the Apostle Paul pointed that out in his letter to the Ephesians. If you want to check that, it's Ephesians 4, 26 to 27. The reality is for all of us in our days, our day-to-day life, things are going to happen that make us angry. We live in a broken world and we and other people are sometimes gonna do things and say things where we hurt one another. Now the best thing to do in these situations is pray. Best prayer is help, Lord. Something short, just, just really just touch base with God and ask Him to help you in how you respond. God might be calling you to take action. He might be calling you to put wrong things right, but we want to check our motivation. Am I acting out of love? Now Jesus Jesus doesn't stop with anger he delves deeper into what's going on in our hearts. In verse 22, he says this, again and again, anyone, again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, raka, is answerable to the court. Now, raka was a, an Aramaic term of contempt. And it's not easy to give an equivalent in our contemporary culture. If you look at Bible commentaries, they, they use words like, Idiot or blockhead. Um, but in our, la- in our culture, language can be a lot coarser than that. It can use words that are degrading and have cultural, sexual, or racial overtones. Now, this is, this is different from anger. In anger, we can say something to somebody, but we, we regret it afterwards. We know, we know we've got it wrong. But with contempt, it's, it's more considered. We're treating the other person as not worthy of respect or consideration. Often, it's motivated by an attempt to exclude or isolate the other person. Sadly, that often starts when we're children in the the playground, who's in, who's out. And that then continues into our homes, into our workplaces, we're seeing it in politics, and it can happen in churches too. Groups are formed, some people are in, and some people are out. And social media has become a place where this is played out in children's and adults' lives with devastating consequences. God has created us all to belong. He's made us for deep and loving relationships, deep and loving relationship with him and deep and loving relationships with one another. The old rhyme goes, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That is a lie. It is not true. Proverbs 18.21 tells us that words have the power of life and the power of death, and we can deeply harm another person when we use words that express our contempt and we seek to exclude them. And then Jesus goes on to speak about a third group in verse 22. He says this, anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. Now, if somebody said to me today, oh, Amanda, you fool, when I'd done something silly, that, you know, that could almost be said affectionately, you know, if I was being a, you know, a bit silly. But what, what Jesus is getting at is when, in, in those times when you called somebody a fool, it's, it's not just expecting, uh, expressing anger, but actual malice. It would be to say something completely horrible and demeaning about a person and in, in the bible of fools not just somebody who's silly it's it's somebody who um, is so they totally turn their back on god and they they are so arrogant and um well, difficult really that they they don't can't even look after the their own interests in our culture it would be to say that somebody Use, it means to use words malignly, where you're really trying to bring them down. You're saying they're totally worth it, worthless and beyond notice. And it, we can see how seriously Jesus takes this when he says, you know, if he's, if, he says if you're angry or you use words of contempt, then, you, then you're subject to judgment. But somebody who says you fool in the way I've been describing, then... You'd be subject to the fires of hell. You could be subject to the fires of hell. Now, what? Now, what? The word he uses there is Gehenna, which is was a rubbish dump in Jerusalem. And what, what he's saying is that the, the 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 values, the way of thinking of somebody who's expressing that, are so out of line with the kingdom that they just can't they can't come together because they're not valuing each person as a masterpiece created in the image of God. Now it's really important to to grasp in all this that Jesus is not giving us a to-do list. He's looking at our hearts as the source of our actions and our words. So how, how can we become the sort of people that Jesus is asking us to be? to have hearts that truly love and value other people. How, how can we cooperate with the Holy Spirit to become people who don't use words to put people down or exclude them, who don't view others with contempt, who don't use humor, we do, use this a lot in our culture, who don't use humor to ever so subtly bring people down. The roots of using words to bring other people down, even if very subtly and with humor, often lie in our own insecurity. We push others down in order to raise ourselves up. We try to exclude others so that we can be included. Our insecurity often has roots in our childhood, where we haven't received the, the love and the affirmation that we're, we were created to have. Many of us have been wounded by words spoken o- over us as a child, by parents, by teachers, by siblings, by, particularly by authority figures. Many of us are are left feeling deeply insecure. Words which say we're unlovable, we're worthless. And we can take on their lies, but we can take those on as part of our identity. And then sadly, we react to that by trying to raise ourselves up and push others down. Now, now if this resonates with you in any way, then the the first thing to do is recognize what's going on in your heart. Ask the Holy Spirit, and I'd, 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 I'd encourage you all to do this. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you listen to your own thoughts. If you're a person who's frequently angry, if you're someone who always wants to be part of the in crowd, whatever that looks like in your life, if you find yourself as someone who makes unkind comments to other people, even, if, even that, if that's in fun and with humor, then it's possible that the root lies in insecurity. We, we might have accepted lies that we're unlovable and we're worthless, but the truth is that you are deeply, deeply loved by God. You've been created for a deep and loving relationship with him. You've been fearfully and wonderfully made by him. And as as we dwell on that truth, as we meditate on the Bible verses that affirm that truth, then the Holy Spirit will minister more and more deeply in our hearts how much we're loved and treasured by God. And this doesn't happen overnight. It's, it's a process. It's a process of rooting out lies which say we're worthless and unlovable or whatever has come into your life. Rooting them out and replacing them with the truth of how much you are loved and valued by God, fearfully and wonderfully made. This is repentance. That's repentance. Rooting out lies, replacing them with truth. And as as we do that, little by little, the Holy Spirit will transform our hearts. And part of this, a really important, really, really important part, is as this happens, we will be freed up to truly love and value other people as God does. Deeply loved by him, created in his image, precious to him. And, And we'll choose not to use comments that that bring them down or demean them in any way. Now Jesus gives us two practical examples of what this looks like in practice compared with just the simple thing of not killing, what this is going to look like in our everyday lives. So in the first example in verses 23 to 24, Jesus imagines somebody standing by the altar, before the altar in Jerusalem, about to make a sacrifice. And then, now this would have been one of the holiest, most special moments in a person's life. And then he remembers that somebody has got something against him. So he leaves the altar, he goes off to try and make it up with that person. Now this this isn't a law, it's not a rule but it illustrates the heart of somebody where Jesus truly is king. So for us, in a similar situation, where we're about to do something very special and somebody has fallen out with us, does our our heart long for reconciliation with them? Do Do we care so much about their soul that we want to help them be reconciled? And have we done everything that we can to be reconciled? You can't force somebody to reconcile with you, but we can, we can try to help. And the second example, Jesus imagines somebody suing us in the courts. Will we be kindly minded towards that other person leading up to the trial? If we owe money, we should settle a debt quickly. But Jesus is not saying that we should always give in to the demands of an adversary where their claim is not just, but he does call us to genuinely seek their well being, or as he puts it elsewhere, to love our neighbour. Jesus says this in John eight thirty one if you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free the more we take hold of the truth in our hearts of how much we are deeply loved by God, the more we will be set free to really, truly love other people and value them as much as God does. People deeply loved by him, created in his image, precious in his sight. So I'd encourage you in the, in the days to come to ask the Holy Spirit to help you listen to your own thoughts. And let's choose not to use words that bring down other people or seek to exclude them, even in fun, but choose to use words that are life-giving and bring blessing and affirmation and love. Amen.